Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Well, today, um, similar outcome, you know, as far as, far as bats. Um, I, I saw the guys in between today. Um, I, don't, I don't know. The, the approach was just off. I mean, late on fastballs, uh, chasing breaking balls, taking pitches in the zone. Uh, it, it, was just, it was just off. We were off. We've missed games. We've had rainouts. Um, guys are trying to, to get a feel. Um, I mean, you can name a, a bunch of things, but at the end of the day, there's just no excuse. Um, we have to we have to find a way, uh, especially in a game like tonight, where uh, you know between Jake and the rest of the staff, we we held them to one run. Um, you you got to find a way to win those games. Um, I don't care how how any one individual is feeling in the box. Um, you know, we got to find a way to string hits together. And I think anybody in that clubhouse is, is going to say the same thing. I know we're advancing pitchers and we're slowing things down as far as like knowing what the opposing pitcher has, you know, but we're not translating that into the game. Um, we got nothing but trust in our hitters because we know that they can hit. We know what they've done in the past. You know, a lot of the guys that are uh, in this lineup. So, you know, you, you expect that to happen soon, but it's something that, you know, we, we need to uh, uh, go and turn it around right now. Yeah, you know, I try not to think too much about it. Um, like I said, I'm more disappointed that I wasn't able to make pitches there in the second inning. Um, you know, I was trying to battle through, but just left some balls over the middle of the plate that got hit. So um, that comes down to me controlling what I can control. And, you know, I didn't do a good job of that in that second inning. <laughs> It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, April the 30th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Of course, if you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, this is going to be a short Talking Mets podcast, and I thought it was important to come to everybody here as uh, 
a season has peaks and valleys, and I think it's fair to say, uh, you know, we called the, the Thunderbolts back in spring training when Carlos Carrasco went down. The Mets had their first injury, and we've talked about peripheral enemies to the Mets with distractions and things like that. But seasons have peaks and valleys, and how you handle the lows sometimes defines whether you'll get to a high. And we continue to be, as I said, in that getting to know the Mets phase. And we're getting to know some things specifically about the offense. And let's face it, uh, this is about as bad as the Mets offense has been in a long time. You could not have predicted over this long a stretch of time, nearly a month, even though the Mets have played the least amount of games in baseball. It's been almost, oh, today's April 30th. The baseball season's been on since uh, the last day of March, first day of April. So it's a month. You could not have, uh, no longer really a small sample size, you could not have predicted it. So I wanted to come to everybody because I could have waited till Sunday, but uh, I think it deserves its own show, short, I'll call it a short, as really we'll just do our State of the Union's uh, spot here and call it a day. But I wanted to continue to do what I promise all the time and give you guys what I believe is the most balanced view of the team on a day in and day out basis. I want to remind everybody, as I've said numerous times, that I think there was this idea that with Wilpon ownership leaving and Steve Cohen coming in, Mets life was a yellow brick road and money solves a lot of problems in sports. It makes it a lot of fun when you can get whoever you want, but money can't substitute for the ins and outs of a baseball season and for the challenges of winning and this marathon, and every baseball team has it, whether you're the Dodgers, who have been really good over a decade when the Yankees were winning four World Series in five years or whatever it is, or even the New England Patriots or the Chicago Bulls during their run. You have your your challenges, and you have to meet them and, and exceed them. And Steve Cohen's checkbook wasn't going to change that. All of a sudden, the Mets weren't this blessed franchise that uh, you know everything was going to go right. They have a lot of weight on their shoulders as an organization. They haven't won in a long time. They still play in the same city as the Yankees. They play in a demanding city. They play in a demanding media market, a media market that likes to see people fail. I mean, just open up, and I like the New York Post. Just open up the New York Post today. Look at some of the commentary. you got Ian O'Connor, who I, I think the world of. is a very successful writer. Every article he's had over the last week, and I think he's been at the Post like five minutes, is fear-mongering. I mean, that's what they're trying to sell. You know, Ken Davidoff, at least, you know, starts to sound the alarm on Lindor, at least gives you some numbers as to why you shouldn't be, you know, too crazy. But let's face it, there's a lot of challenges here. So the first thing that people are going to call for, and the fans are the are the first that are guilty of this, is firing Chili Davis. Because the Mets are struggling offensively. They're, they're, they're the three runs a game. They're one of the worst teams in baseball. They just came off a series where they struck out half the time. You can't get more pathetic I think or look or the optics could not look worse than what you saw against the Red Sox I mean some of the at-bats I think it was Brandon Nimmo or Conforto I can't remember with this flat-footed half swing at a fastball I mean it was like you you couldn't this is the kind of stuff you see in a a bad hitter in Little League or in wiffle ball games like the person that can't hit that just like waves at it so that's where those optics are bad it's boring games uh, it's everything that you didn't want out of a baseball season in front of you very quickly. And because of the history and some of the things that happened to the Mets and the woe is me and the roof is going to cave in mindset of the fan base, you're starting to get the overreaction, the booing of Lindor, which I told you was going to happen. 
I told you it was going to happen. I predicted it. And all I'll say is this, and I'm not going to get into this a lot because you could go and listen to a couple of podcasts over the last month, a couple of shows where I basically talked about this. Everybody decided to get married before there was really even dating going on. And now both sides are married, so he better get used to the expectations, and maybe we got to manage expectations about who this guy is because he's a very good player, I believe, but I'm not sure he's Mike Trout, and I think sometimes if he's not Mike Trout, that's always going to leave the fans wanting, and they should have looked at the numbers, and they should have done their research because I don't know what world you were you were in, but I never believed him when he was coming here other than the, a great position, the right guy at that position, great defensively, a very good hitter, but I, I never mistaked him for one of the top three, four, five players in baseball. He's had that kind of year, but that's the exception, not the rule. So let's just remember that. But what we like to do is find scapegoats. That's always what it is because it makes us feel better to beat somebody with, it, with the proverbial stick. So Chili Davis, let's, let's fire Chili Davis. And I saw tweets running around about how Chili Davis has had issues in other places. And I, I, I remember that. The Cubs, I guess... When he was there, there were issues with some of the young hitters and whatnot. I find it hard to believe that Chili Davis is so powerful in the Mets organization. A guy that wasn't even working in the dugout last year was remote, which I don't even know how that's going to work. And a guy who was here in 2019 when the team was pretty good offensively, especially in the second half. I find it hard to believe that he is the reason why the Mets struck out half the time against the Red Sox. I find that I find it hard to believe that he's the reason why Dom Smith looks so lost at the plate, why Conforto looks lost, why Lindor, who doesn't even know the guy and probably doesn't even need the guy, is struggling coming over to New York. Let me give you reality about hitting coaches. They're there. They're a resource. They have a job to do to provide information to help tutor the players. But the players don't have to talk to them if they don't want. They don't have to listen to them. And don't be surprised if a lot of players, even if Chili Davis comes to them and talks in their ear, Every night, politely listen, but maybe implement nothing of what he says. Derek Jeter used to go to his own guy, Rick Down. You know he he you know he didn't need, you know he he might you know a hitter might go to a hitting coach say he talked to me about this look at this, but it's a resource. It's like nothing more than a, than going to your computer and clicking on an app or your iPad and clicking on an app and saying let me see what this app's all about to help me sleep. And if you don't like it, you throw it away. The app doesn't control you; you control the app. That's what a hitting coach is. Now, if the front office is dictating to Chili Davis on how these players need to uh, approach at the plate, which I know in the past Sandy Alderson has done, where he wanted a very patient team up and down the minor league system, and they're changing the players, which at this point in their careers, they're in the big leagues, especially guys like Lindor, that ain't happening. So this whole idea of Chili Davis getting fired and it being the, the, the end-all, be-all and the fix... Uh, yeah, I know some of you might go back to 1999 and the Steve Phillips firing the coaches. That's not why the Mets made the playoffs that year. That was window dressing. That was more of an ego war between Phillips and Bobby Valentine and him exerting his power over his manager. It had nothing to do with the success on the field. That Mets team would have probably won 97 games whether they fired the coaches or not. So if that's what you think, you think this is going to be shades of 1999. Now, that might happen, and the Mets have done that, and Sandy Olderson has done that before. Remember how we fired Dave Hudgens uh, back in 2014 when the Mets weren't hitting? Uh, I think it was like mid to late May. And that was probably an unfair firing, and Hudgens has gone on to still be a very respected coach, even with a team like the Houston Astros. So uh, that was all window dressing. 
And I don't know, you know, it's so long ago, I think that the Mets approach was being brought into question. And uh, that's something certainly for us to look at. But I, I, again, I have a hard time that Chili Davis, a respected veteran, uh, a solid big league hitter that has been doing this a while, is the problem here. Louis Rojas has talked about the process. And I think that's when this starts coming to play, where you're going to have issues specifically with the fans and the media. Because you hear a lot of talk about good batting practices and, you know, at-bats or foul balls or situations where you feel that the player's coming out of it. Baseball's like the sands of time. There's these little, little tiny things that you have to do, and they all add up to success. And then one day, it's like you wake. It's like when you walk outside of your house when it starts to get warm in the spring, and, and that bush that looked dreary all winter and was dead all of a sudden just springs up. You're like, why didn't that happen? It, it's like it happened overnight. Well, yeah, little things were happening. You didn't see it. Then all of a sudden, there was the igniter, and it, it all sprung up. So when you hear that stuff, that's when you get the eye rolls, and then you hear that it's excuses. I don't think he's making any excuses. He was pretty direct, especially in an article in the New York Post. Uh, I believe it was either this morning or yesterday, saying Mets are not aggressive. Now, maybe Citizens Bank Park will be a tonic. They're going to Philly. They're going to St. Louis. Schedule's not going to get any easier. And, and nor should it. You know, you have to win and beat good teams and, and, and win in tough environments and win on, on tough road trips if you're going to be a great team. That's, that's simple. This is the perfect ballpark this weekend in Citizens Bank for them to break out. Historically, they've hit a ton of home runs there. Those are against some bad uh, Philly teams. You got Zach Wheeler, and, uh, and he's going this weekend. So I don't know how much teeing off they'll do every night. But uh, you can't fix or trade this away. For better or worse, this is your Mets offense. You're committed to McCann. You're committed to Lindor. Uh, you know, you, Michael Conforto, you're, 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 you know, you could trade him. I mean, what are you going to do? You need an upgrade? You're not going to go out and be able to trade six, seven, eight guys and fix the offense. You could bring in one or two guys. Look, the one position that you might want to do something with, other than center field, which requires some machinations and moving around because then you're admitting maybe Dom Smith is not who he is, is third base, and that's the guy that's actually hitting, J.D. Davis. It's not the offense that's the problem there. You could send messages, send somebody down, release a player. I mean, could you see in two, three weeks if things continue, if Dom Smith is still struggling, maybe they send him down? could see that maybe, you know, guys with options. If Kevin Pillar is still hitting 098 and looks bad at the plate, do you give him the Keon Broxton treatment and send him packing and bring in another veteran? I could see that. It's going to be a while, and it's also not the M.O. of an analytics-driven front office. Zach Scott, Sandy Alderson. They're not going to all of a sudden do uh, facelifts to make the media and the fans happy. If anything, Sandy's always been known to do the opposite, be methodical, and obnoxiously so. So you're stuck with these guys, and I'll tell you why. You're probably stuck with these guys most of the year because if this doesn't get better, they're not going to be a contender. They're not going to win, and the only thing that you'll be talking about in the next you know 90 days from now or so is who they're going to trade at the deadline and how they're going to retool for next year and what the focus is going to be. And that's a whole different ball of wax. And guess what? Nobody wants to be there because it'll be a wild and wacky conversation and a complicated one. So I'm not even going to have that conversation. You want to rationalize what I see out there? I cannot believe that a team with guys like Conforto and Lindor and McNeil and Alonzo uh, and Brandon Nimmo and even guys who have a little bit smaller sample size of success like Dom Smith, James McCann, 
J.D. Davis. I can't believe that lineup will average three runs per game. Maybe I overstated thinking that they were going to be a consistent average five runs per game lineup. Um, And we still have to take a look at as we get deeper and deeper into the spring and then early summer as the numbers become a larger sample size. If, and this is not why the Mets are striking out a ton. I'm not blaming the ball on this. But is there some kind of decrease in runs that's happening because of the sport more than necessarily what the Mets are or aren't doing at the plate. Even though, again, the manager said they have a bad approach. I mean, they, their approach is so bad. It, it, it's a novice uh, a coach, someone who's not a, a, a player development guy. I am not a player development guy. I could tell they were taking fastballs down the middle. Their approach to the plate was bad throughout the series and, and pretty much for a while now. It's not been just the last two games against the Red Sox. But it's about 17 games. And if you go to any season, go back to 2019. Take 2020 out because it's only two months of the season. You're going to have months where a team doesn't hit. I mean, the Mets went through this kind of period in 2019. Uh, in June, they weren't hitting teams. You know, a team that lost over 100 games, the Marlins. I remember them going to Miami, and they didn't hit for three days. And everybody panicked and freaked out. If this was 17 games after the All-Star break or 17 games in June after the Mets had gotten off to a good start... All we would be talking about is the Mets are in a slump, and they'll come out of it. Now it's 17 games to start the season, and the panic is, or 19, was it 19 games? I'm sorry, not 19 games, 19 games. Uh, the panic is that this is who they are. And, and to me, that's, you know, that's just not, that, that's typical footballization of, of baseball. Football is it. You had 19, I don't know where you got 17 games, 19 games. So that, to me, is where you could rationalize and say, hey, calm down. And you got Citizens Bank Park, and what better way to break out than in a bandbox of a ballpark? I don't think it's going to be too cold this weekend, and let's see what happens. Now, there are concerns. The runners in scoring position trend, the lack of execution with runners on third and less than two outs, that's been going on since last summer, since the pandemic season started. And even if they get on track... This is something that could derail them, even if they start averaging five, five and a half runs a game. Remember, you could be the best offensive team in the world, but if you go out there and they don't do the little things, it's not going to matter. And this is something that we definitely have to be concerned about because even if they get back on track, there's a trend here that with runners on, when they need to execute, they're not doing that. And there's if and, and how many swings and misses and strikeouts is this lineup going to have? Because they're having it at a 50% rate. I mean, hitters that strike out half the time, I don't care how many home runs you hit, those typically are bad hitters They get sent down to the minor leagues. The Mets of the team, that's what they did. Now, the Red Sox had some great arms coming out of that bullpen. And let me tell you, I thought they left Pavetta off the hook. But other than that, their bullpen guys, their bullpen arms, uh, you know, they were pretty good. They, they were pretty good. I was pretty impressed. And I was impressed. I mean, side note, that's not what this show is all about. Mets pitching continues to be outstanding. And that and that's, you know, to me, I'll go one other thing on rationalizing. That's harder to fix than offense. See, to me, offense is about getting going, and they have the, the horses here. The pitchers, to me, that's that's a whole different situation. Because if you're going to be in every game, you're going to find a way to win eventually. They're not going to strike out half the time all the time. But that's definitely a, a, a trend there. Now, as far as the two big guys that are a big problem and not the only problem, Lindor and Conforto, the money is what it is. One guy got it, another guy wants it, and that comes with the territory. And you saw it, I'll tell you again once, I'm going to tell you a billion times, 
I'm not going to be surprised this is going to be a tough year for Lindor. And I'm not saying that this year will define the next decade for him. But every player has gone through this. Whether they were trying to sign or be signed. I've said it a thousand times. You saw it with Beltran. You saw it with Piazza. I mean, Santana didn't have a very long slump. But there was a time early on where he had some bad games early. And they were questioning whether he was worth the price of admission. You have to go through this. This is your baptism. Your organic baptism by fire. And if Conforto wants to be a guy that gets $200-plus million a year and be a core offensive player here or somewhere somewhere else, he's got to perform. So that's going to hang over their head all year. they got to grow up. they got to get it done. Handling expectations as a team is something that they're just going to have to live with. They are no longer this little underdog team that has bad owners or guys like Dom Smith or Jeff McNeil or Pete Alonso sort last year that are coming out of nowhere and producing above and beyond what people expected. There's expectations. Even James McCann, a great story, a guy that worked his way into a $40 million contract. And I think probably is going to be one of those guys that gives you a lot of nuance in terms of his value than stuff that's going to stop, uh, jump off the page of baseball reference. He's got expectations. You know, Dom Smith's a perfect example here. We really don't know who Dom Smith is. You, Everybody bestowed greatness on him over a 60-game season in August and September when the pitchers were all shangad because they got uh, ramped up, shut down, and the world was topsy-turvy. He had some nice run for a month or so in, what, 19, and he hit a game, a walk-off home run the last day of the season. He, he Before he got hurt in July, he wasn't hitting. And maybe, you know, you know, we were ready to give him first base and send Alonzo to the American League. We have no idea who that guy is. None. Because he's never done it over a full season. So there's a lot of expectations in handling that and the pressure that comes with that plays into it. We don't know. We just don't know. Maybe we overrated how good offensively this team is. I think there's potential and then there's reality. And some of the guys, McCann and Smith specifically, are being based on very small sample sizes. Two of the guys are facing tremendous expectations because of money. And then you got guys like McNeil and Alonzo who have to start to really cement themselves, even though they've had a good sample size of success, cement themselves as they get into the early years where they're now, you know, early prime guys and expected to produce. I mean, J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo might start to see that they get d- deeper in the season. And as if these hot starts continue, they'll start to become guys that are expected to produce more. They're not surprises. And look, the guys on the bench, you could sub in a Pilar and a VR and a Guillaume, Almora, whatever. But th- those are guys that are not allowing you to have a drop-off when you need a, 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 a guy needs a break or against a tough pitcher or there's a, an injury that's not too serious that requires a 10-day spat on the DL, 15-day spat on the DL, that you don't feel like you have such a drop-off. VR is not Lindor, but he's not like, you know, significantly below league average where you go from all-star to nothing. You know, he's an in-between. That's what those guys are. Those guys are not going to solve this problem. The problem has to work itself out on offense. And I tell you what, guys, I'm convinced it's all between the ears. It's pressure, it's expectations, it's flow, it's... Probably trying too hard. You know, we, you know, that, that's, that's, that's just, that's just what this is about. They are expected to win and play well. And now they're realizing it. They have an owner that expects it. They have a team that's a focused team. 
And with that comes responsibility. And maybe that's having them hold the bat a little tighter. Maybe now this is getting into their head. And I am not down in the clubhouse, and I don't know. And by the way, neither does the media because they're all on Zoom. And you're getting very little. You got a couple of quotes. You heard the quotes coming in from Louis Rojas and Jacob deGrom and James McCann. They, they all said the right things. And I never heard anybody not take accountability. I mean, talking about the process and what they have to do is not making excuses. Even McCann said they haven't gotten to a flow. They've had a lot of rainouts, days off, the COVID stuff. But I don't think they were hitting a tremendous amount in spring training either. And I don't get crazy about spring training because you're down there. You're getting your game in. You, you know, it's a whole different situation. But they weren't hitting the tar out of the ball down in, in Port St. Lucie. So maybe they've never really gotten on track. And we could – but, but, but let, here's what I will say. I'm not ready to sound the panic alarm. And if, if anybody's expecting to come into this show and hearing me say, fire Chili Davis, uh, pack it in, this is a bad team – it wasn't going to happen. I'm not sounding the panic alarms. And by the way, the pitching is so, especially the bullpen, is so is so promising that you have to feel good about where this team could go. Even if they don't become the five-plus run-a-game juggernaut I thought they could be, if they just normalize, they'll be good. They may not be a, a division winner, but they'll be good. They'll be in the mix and, and what have you. I don't even look at the standings right now. You know, you got to give me a month before I start worrying about games back, wild card. You probably, I'm not going to look at it until June 1st or later. Because that's when things settle in where you have some deficits or gaps that have been widened. And you have to say, hey, you don't want to get, you don't want to get too far behind. And if you get far ahead, you put yourself in a good spot throughout the summer. So it needs to start going in the right direction now. Because two, three weeks from now, if this is the conversation we're having... I promise you they'll be under 500, and they'll be significantly under 500. They're not going to be a game or two. They'll probably be five, six, seven games under 500. And then you have a problem. And the one thing that I am looking for, what I'd like to see, more than hits, more than anything else, this, the process and all that stuff that they do on the back end, that, that's their thing. It's hard to, to see that as a novice. You see some of it, hard to see that. But what I haven't seen, and this is from day one, not just against the Red Sox, is energy and confidence from the offense. I've seen it from the pitchers. I've seen it from everybody in the staff, from the bullpen guys, the starters. They go out there with a purpose. They, they seem like they're ready to compete and win. I don't see it from the offense. And that concerns me. And that's been from the jump. That's been from the start. And nothing. And that was very evident against Boston, where they got down and... It looked like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders. And that's concerning. And when that continues to spiral and becomes a trend on a larger scale throughout the baseball season, that's when you got to start to worry about the manager. If there's going to be a change, I can't see it being a small thing like firing Chili Davis. If there's a change, if this team is underachieving, and the real way you judge the manager would be about how he works with the clubhouse. And I don't think it's going to get ugly in the clubhouse. This is not going to be like Jeff Torborg or anything like that. You're not going to see incidents like you saw at Mickey Calloway, you know, fist fighting with the media. You're not going to see that. And I do not believe you have the the negative interaction that it was like it was with Brody Van Wagen and Mickey Calloway who really didn't like each other. But if the energy level continues to go sub-zero, which it has been for extended periods and continues into the summer, 
you might see, especially if they're meandering and there's still chance of salvaging the season. And this will be the first inkling into what kind of owner Steve Cohen is. If I'm the owner, I start talking to Sandy Olsen and say, talk to me about the manager. Because we could talk about all the boring sands of time baseball stuff, which may make him a good manager in the long run. But is he the right manager now for a team that needs to win? And I hate to talk like that because to me, I don't think it's, it is a window dressing move to a certain degree. But do they need someone more feisty, fiery um, to get them going? Uh, that's a fair question. Too early for that question. And it's not usually the kind of dialogue I like to have because I think it's overrated. But uh, firing a hitting coach is just sacrificial lamb. Nothing more. If you're really going to go to the enchilada, you're going to get rid of the manager. And, and who would you even bring in midseason? I mean, that's when you probably have to think about bringing an experienced guy in, Buck Walter, guy like that. But, you know, I don't know if that's really... A, a, it's not a conversation for today. Because you bring in another Louis Rojas type, just keep Louis Rojas. You know, that's, that's, that's ultimately the only other thing you can do is do you go the experienced manager route, the route that many thought, myself included back in the the fall of 2019 into 2020, they should have went when they were moving on from Mickey Calloway and what have you. So so that's my thoughts. That's about as balanced as I can be about the Mets and their offensive struggles. And look for the energy. Look for the confidence to improve. And sometimes it'll just take a four-run crooked number that does that against Zach Wheeler or you know whoever. And look, they're not even facing the best pitchers on every team. That's what's frustrating. They're facing the three, fours, and fives, and some of them are pretty mediocre. Some of the guys coming out of the bullpen have been pretty mediocre that shut them down. Guys like Winkler in Chicago and things like that. So, All right, I hope you enjoyed this Talking Mets short. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast this weekend. Until then, take care, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.